Oh, hi there. We didn't see you come in. Because you're not in our studio and you're listening to this days or perhaps weeks after we recorded it. Once again, it's Then Again with Ken and Glenn. Say hi, Glenn. Hi, I have a splinter in my finger. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to halt production while Glenn no, I'm prizes okay. us up. Well, go ahead. You know, in the spirit of the Lewis and Clark expedition, which oddly enough is our topic today, you're going to have to just just power through it and carry on with the journey. Well, God help those men if they had to go through anything this excruciating. Yes, as a splinter. I'm sure that the men of the Lewis and Clark expedition and women never had to go through anything that, that grueling. So yes, today our topic is the Lewis and Clark expedition, uh, led by Meriwether Lewis and Clark. No, that was his last name. No, it's not his last name. No, uh, Meriwether Lewis and uh, and George Clark. Now, this is a topic that is pretty near and dear to Glenn and Mize. Uh, Clark. I'm sorry, George Clark was the American Revolution guy. That's his brother. His brother, right. Yes. William Clark. Uh, you'd think I'd know that since Glenn and I portray Meriwether Lewis and William Clark uh, here at the History Center and uh, in outreach programs at schools, uh, wherever you'd care to have us come. So call now. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's something that we have a firsthand knowledge of the from the ex- of the experience from the research we've done, and it's a topic that we know delights the kids. I mean, the kids, the teachers, the adults, because it is a quintessential American story. Everything that's wrapped up in it: the the, the acquisition of the Louisiana Territory, uh, the exploration, the adventures of the exploration, right. the reporting back, uh, and the the divergent endings of Lewis and Clark themselves. Absolutely, and and of the members of the party, and uh, and the fact that at least for the last, I'll say the last generation of study of, of the Lewis and Clark expedition is also an inclusive study. You know, we do talk about York, the enslaved uh, servant. We talk about Sacagawea. We talk about uh, Toussaint Charbonnet. Uh, and, and and it is a it's a it's a very colorful story. It's a very diverse story, but. The phrase you mentioned just a second ago is really where it all starts, the Louisiana Purchase. And this is really bound up, oddly enough, in things that are happening in Europe and the Caribbean that lead to Thomas Jefferson, your favorite president, uh, having a unique opportunity. Yeah, well, he, <clears throat> he had uh, sent a delegation to France to purchase New Orleans, the yeah. city. It, because that was the stopgap for the entire trade of the Mississippi River. At this time, the western boundary of the United States was the Mississippi, uh, per the treaty with Great Britain after the War for Independence. And it was in French slash Spanish hands, depending on what exact year you're talking. But yeah, which secret treaty you're reading, exactly. and, I, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> right. But, but at this point, France, Napoleon was in charge. Right. France, this is, this is in the very midst of the Napoleonic Wars. Um, so... Jefferson sends a delegation to take New Orleans because New Orleans is the key to one-fifth of America's trade that goes down the Mississippi. If a foreign power for some reason decides to shut that off of the city, then America's economy is literally crippled. So he wants to purchase that, and they approach Napoleon. And according to the story, (laughs) Napoleon, while taking a bath, had the bright idea of, why don't I just sell you the entire thing? The entire Louisiana territory that had originally been Spanish had been ceded to France after Napoleon took over the French aristocracy. <laughs> Napoleon offers it, and American and the American delegation is. And it should should be pointed out one of the reasons that he does this unexpected swing is that there had been the slave revolt in, in the Caribbean, that, yeah. and, and it had established the, 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 this, this new country, and they were not able to suppress it. And he realized, you know, without sugar islands, the islands growing sugar to make money, it's not worth 
keeping this Caribbean and American empire. Let's sell it. Right. Well, he had dreams of creating an American right, empire. Right. But that was hinged and, on. And San Domingue, he sent, I, I want to say, twenty to 30,000 yeah. desperately needed in Europe troops, and they all died. Uh, most of them from disease, some of them from actual right. uh, combat with the with the people on the island. But that that decided he decided to just give it up and get the money. So the Americans were like, "Absolutely, we'll take it." We have, of course have to go through the process. And poor <laughs> Mister Jefferson <laughs> wrings his hands and realizes that this is the greatest thing that has ever dropped in the lap of of anyone in history. He can double the size of the United States. For three the, cents an acre. At the stroke of a pen. <laughs> yeah. 128,000 square miles, 530 million acres for $15 million. And no bloodshed, nothing. And But he's, well, is it constitutional? Does the Constitution give the power to the presidency to do that? And his best friend, James Madison, basically says, are you nuts? <laughs> are you nuts, Mr. J? Of course, this is too important. So right. to make a long story short. And to be fair, the argument was the Constitution gives the president the power to execute treaties with foreign nations. This falls under a treaty, so yes. Now, you'll still have to get the money from Congress, but yet that was the argument. Yeah. Yes, you can constitutionally you, you, do it. You can do it, and of course the money, We I think we alluded to the money before. It's so interesting. So here are England and France literally in a death struggle for the survival of each nation. Uh, this is a, in 1803, it is a very, very short period of peace. So to finance it, uh, the Americans contact Thomas Baring and Company, an English uh, in London uh, banking firm, banking firm <laughs> and they arrange for the money to go to Napoleon. So Baring and Company creates bonds that basically says the U.S. government owes this much. They sell those bonds out to different people in the country. Hard specie is very hard to get at gold, this point in England. About actual yes, gold. actual physical gold and silver. It's hard to get because England has been at war for years. Right. And so they finally gather this money up. They make a down payment transferred across the English at war with France, <laughs> transfer all this gold and silver to Napoleon in France. What is Napoleon's secret purpose for this? To invade England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's his goal of selling this, so, is to invade England. So the former foe of Great Britain, the United States, uses their banking system to give money to Napoleon so he can fight Great Britain. It's a, you can't make this up. And thus the Lewis and Clark expedition <laughs> is born. Right. So, so, we, so, and really, when it's signed, even though it's a private London firm, the British government, the Spanish government, almost every government in the world of any magnitude at this point, except for the United States and Napoleonic France, consider this an illegitimate and foregone. It, it, they don't consider it a legitimate transaction. But, you know, who everyone's too involved with everything right, else, so, right. so we keep it. Right. The, the expedition that Jefferson had set up originally to explore the area he had be begun to organize it before the purchase yeah. even was suggested. Well, and had the ideas back in the 1780s. Exactly. So it had gone forward, and they were getting ready to go, but when the purchase went through, it was an incredible opportunity. It, it, was, it went beyond just exploration. It became a, a very important diplomatic affair. Because exactly, if, if Jefferson can get boots on the ground, so to speak, as far as far as this territory goes, which was also ill-defined, that was that was another one of the problems, is that no one knew exactly what the boundaries were. But if he can get there first and say, this is the boundary, you have that legal international law foothold to say, well, 
we've got a fourth heir, we built a fourth heir, you know, whatever, you've got, you've got claim. And so that's one of the motivating factors, as well as Mr. Jefferson has the opportunity of a lifetime to indulge in his personal passion, this coinciding with natural interest mm -hmm. of botany and zoology and the exploration of, he, he, you know, Jefferson's, in, today he would have been a scientist of note probably. Yes, he would. And, and here, here are, there are three main things that the Lewis and Clark expedition is supposed to do. <laughs> explore and explore find the famed Northwest Passage, which was supposed to be a direct route from the Mississippi to the Pacific. Spoiler alert, turns out it doesn't exist, but that, they're looking for that. There are this chain of mountains called the Rockies in the way. <laughs> they are looking to open political and economic relations with all the native tribes in the newly purchased Louisiana Territory. And, and this is incredibly interesting, they're supposed to find mastodons <laughs> because Jefferson had they he, they knew he had a, he had a he had a couple of fossils and and <laughs> they at, at this time they didn't know about dinosaurs but they knew about woolly mammoths and mastodons and they were the dinosaurs of the early 1800s right. and so everyone and who's was, to say maybe there's one exactly everyone's fascinated so he's like <laughs> basically they're doing all the scientific you know and the things you heard and he's of like Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter it's Thomas <laughs> Jefferson mammoth hunter except that one's real <laughs> exactly. and he's like if you can happen to find any mastodons or anything like that, please bring one back. <laughs> please bring one back. That's, that's in the you know that's that's the implied in the instructions. But two, one of the three goals were were, were successes, but no mastodons, no, no Pacific, exactly. uh, no Northwest. Pacific. But there is a wealth of of natural history information that Lewis and Clark do bring back, and and it you know. The, the drawings they bring back, the descriptions, uh, are, were, were invaluable uh, to, to, the, to the new land. Now, um, the makeup of the, the crew itself. Now, uh, Meriwether Lewis, uh, born in Virginia, actually spent some time in Georgia, in the North Georgia Hills near where we are uh, recording this very podcast. I don't know why I didn't stop by back then to let us know what was going on, but, uh, you know. He'll be our special guest <laughs> next week. <laughs> but, uh, and then wound up back in Virginia, joined the uh, militia, then the army, and was... Uh, part of the uh, forces that uh, put down the Whisker Rebellion. Thanks, Alexander Hamilton. Anyway, that's another podcast. Do not get us started. Not on Alex oh, he's got a musical. Well, <laughs> we've got a rebuttal. Anyway, <laughs> it's a great show. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but he, through, through that, through his army service, he meets uh, William Clark. And then through family connections, uh, he gets appointed to Thomas Jefferson uh, to be a secretary, a personal secretary, uh, during his term. So Jefferson knows Meriwether Lewis, working with him as a secretary, knows somewhat of his background, knows that, you know, the time he spent in Georgia were frontier times. I mean, there, there's contemporary accounts that as a, as a kid living in Georgia, he would just go out at night with his rifle and his hunting dog and just roam. Yeah, just, <laughs> just just roam, and explore this, this, if you will, explore if you will, and you know, and 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 this is a you know a time where the frontier is turbulent, and there's not really any guarantee that uh, a Native American won't kill him, or or you know, any number of things could happen to him. Uh, so he's got a, he's he's demonstrate he, he's got a record of being someone who who will go out there and do things, and has performed well in the army. And Jefferson's impressed with him and says, ah, you're going to lead this, this new thing I've got going. It's called the Corps of Discovery. 
And the very first thing Meriwether Lewis wisely did was say, hey, William Clark, you need to be second in command here because uh, they had complementary skills. They Very complementary. Uh, and unlike uh, Meriwether Lewis, William Clark had had no formal education. Uh, he, he could read, he could write, but... but not a higher education like like uh, Lewis. Yeah, because Lewis had gotten at, you know age thirteen, but from thirteen on he got tutors in Virginia the way you know gentry minor gentry did get. Right, and and they're they're they're, they're both in the middling gentry that that they yeah. were brought up in that they're not poor backwoodsmen by right. any stretch. But 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 Clark is is a, a very practical person, and Clark was brought on to really handle the the day to day logistics. Right. Uh, and governing of the men, right, and and uh, and 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 Lewis, you know, was was really especially charged with making these notes, taking these notebooks, doing these you know drawings of, and you know, and the drawings are still. As a matter of fact, Glenn's got a great book that's got a lot of the <laughs> facsimiles of a lot of these original things. But he has drawings of, of fish and bird heads and Native Americans that they met, and then notes about where they met them and and what they were doing, and it, it's. It's really good stuff. So he's got some, you know, he, that, that's sort of what he's bringing. He's, he's sort of the higher function, uh, and then Clark got to make sure. He gets things done. Yeah, get, get, get things done. But that works well together. Now, they both realize that they are indeed going into, you know, terra incognita as far as the, the, the white Americans are concerned, you know, unknown country, and that they're going to be facing native tribes. And... And one of the things they're bringing along is, uh, and I think this is actually a stroke of genius on Jefferson's part, because this was his idea, the medals. Mm -hmm. Right. The, uh, uh, so that the, he had struck these medals that were like official symbols of, this is the United States president. The, right. You know, reaching out to you personally. They're like three-inch disc bronze, but they have a picture of a peace pipe and clasping and hands. Clasping hands. And this is, this is once again, is going to be big medicine. This is, this is... A status symbol. So if they meet a tribe and the tribe is friendly and you know and in relations proceed, you know this is presented to the chief or head man, and this this means something. Uh, so that that was you know one realization. That was one example. They realized we've got to we've got to find an entree to these people. But the best entree they wound up having was completely unexpected, completely serendipitous. When uh, they realized they needed a guide, and they hired this guy, uh, I can always have to look at this. Yeah, Toussaint Chabonnet, a French Canadian habitant, uh, and uh, they hire him as a guide. Well, he's married, and he says, "Hey, can I bring along my wife? Who, by the way, is pregnant." Right. <laughs> and and they said yes. And of course, that wife was Sacagawea. Sacagawea, um, and. She turns out to be. I mean, there's a misconception. People think she was hired as a guide. She was not. She she, she, she was at first. She was a tag along. She was a she tag was. along because her husband said, "I want to bring my wife," and that's why she was there. But she turned out to be probably the most invaluable person on that trip, as far as Native American relations and being able to bridge cultural gaps, mm -hmm. uh, because she speaks. A, a, two or three of the of the different tribal languages. Yeah, I believe. Shoshone, uh, Mandan, Hidatsa. Uh, I think Hidatsa, uh, and of course French. And of course French because her husband is because her husband is French. So she is multilingual, and is of the same ethnicity as the people they're about to traverse into their territory. 
And this winds up being a gold mine or, or godsend because, you know, you've got a party of 41 folks show up, 41 strong, able-bodied men with guns, whether they're for hunting or whatever, just suddenly showing up. Okay, is this a war party? Oh, wait, they've got a woman with them, a pregnant woman with them. And then once she gives birth, a woman with a baby, this is not a war party. All right, let's see what they have to say. So just her mere presence immediately diffuses situations, and then she can talk to them. Right. Now, yeah. now describe the process of well, talking yeah, to them, though. I will. Let me, <clears throat> let me say one thing. You talked about the party of men. Yeah. Please note the Court of Discovery is a military expedition. Mm. Uh, Lewis and Clark both hold U.S. regular army right, commissions, right. and the men that come along with them are enlisted in the U.S. Army. That's when they true. start out, they're in their military uniforms. Right. They have their military weapons. Uh, those things were out along the trail. <laughs> right, and, and right. This is when they start, you know, using skins and things. Right. But but this is a military expedition. But in communication uh, with these folks, so at one point, um, they've gone all the way up the Missouri River as far as they can go. They winter at Fort Mandan, and then it's time to set out cross country. They've got a lot of stuff to carry. They want to negotiate for horses, so they end up using Sacagawea. So Sacagawea symbol of peace in a, in a party of men, comes to the tribe. She speaks to this tribe, I believe it was the Shoshone, uh, to negotiate for horses. So they talk to her in Shoshone. She turns around, translates that into French, and tells uh, Charbonnet. Charbonnet then tells this to Lewis <laughs> in English, and then Lewis says, okay, well, what about this? And then that has to go back in to French, French, to back into Shoshone, Shoshone. And, and it's back, and, and you know, this isn't, this isn't Babblefish. You can't just tap it in. <laughs> nice reference to uh, 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 Douglas Adams there. Yes. <laughs> but, you, you know, everyone's played that game right. where you whisper at the beginning of the classroom and you see if it makes it to the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. And you've got at least three languages going on where that could happen, but, right. but they pull it off. They do, yeah. And, 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 and th thanks to Sakagawea. Yeah, I mean, and actually that's kind of, that's kind of an amazing thing there, just, just the fact that evidently there was no catastrophic mistranslation for two years, meeting dozens upon dozens. There was of one. There was one tribe that, that they been, that they know. kind of bumped heads with, uh, that was not incredibly friendly, at first, but that was it. I mean, they they were able to negotiate because, and again, it's it's worth noting, no one in the court of discovery died except for one person. That person died of appendicitis, right? Not from any hostile interaction with native peoples. No one died except for a guy with appendicitis. Yeah. You can't fix that, right? Or at exactly. least in 1803, you can't fix that. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's remarkable leadership. That's right. remarkable negotiating skills. And you know, if it hadn't been for, for uh, Sacagawea, it would have right. been reduced to grunts, and that probably would not have ended well. Right. And yeah, you know, we we mentioned you know earlier a little bit of diversity of of the of the makeup of the peoples in the expedition, mentioning that York, uh, William Clark's personal enslaved valet, was was on the mission. But uh, he was also something of a novelty to the Native American tribes they met, as you were mentioning. That they, once again, they considered him big medicine because he was unlike anyone else on the expedition. Right. He he was uh, according to the you know the sources he was very dark skinned and very big and, and, and very and yes powerfully built tall. Um, and so the Native Americans have never seen anyone like this. And so, you know, they, they are amazed by this painted man. 
and they ask if he will strip, you know, strip down to his waist so they can see if it's just his face that has been right. painted, and, and they realize that it's his whole body, and it's like, this is pretty remarkable. You know, this <laughs> right. is this this guy is obviously different, therefore he must be something special. Yeah, yeah. Which is once again, I mean, you know, th- that's an amazing look at different cultural worldviews of things. At the least, it's that. But also, there's the intangible value that he's also providing. It's like they've got Sacagawea, which signals we're not a war party. They've got this interesting, special individual. Okay, this whole party, this whole thing, this is this is not necessarily something we want to annihilate or attack or harass. This, we're interested in you people. Yes. Just as much yeah. as you're interested in us, in a way. And so, you know, all of that pro- contributes to the relative harmony of a two-year, thousands of miles journey where, quite frankly, the folks back east, they might be dead. We don't know. Right. Yeah, you have to remember, they're gone for two and a half years, and they lose contact after Fort Mandan uh, for a year and a half. They, No one east, Jefferson, no one, hears anything from them until they get back to St. Louis in 1805 and send a letter post rider <laughs> right. to, to Jefferson basically saying, we just got back and we're alive. <laughs> we'll tell you more later. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so yeah, it's, it's, they are, it's the, it's the 19th century version literally of going to the moon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is. Exactly. It is. And there's experimental technology they're trying out. Uh, one of the things I was actually just reading recently, and this was a pet project of Meriwether Lewis, before they set out, he had this iron frame built, like iron bars, little iron frame that could pack easily, well, relatively easily. And, and the idea was that when they got to a certain point where they needed boats, instead of having to build wooden boats or canoes or haul wooden boats, hey, let's, we'll pop out the frame, we'll stretch leather deer skin or buffalo skin, whichever we happen to have killed and, 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 and uh, tanned, over it, waterproof it, boom, we've got a boat that we can then disassemble and carry with us. And, and it was, you know... Supposed to be this really great thing, and so when it came time to use it, he, you know, with great pride, Lewis, you know, has them unpack it. They assemble it, they get the skins, they start attaching them. Everything's going pretty well, but then they can't. They're not in an area where there are pine trees. They can't boil down the sap to make pitch to seal the seams, and so they're trying to experiment with tallow and grease and all these other things, and it's kind of working and kind of not. And uh, and also he's noticing that the way they they attach the skins to the frame. He realizes that instead of cutting holes, they should have pierced holes because now where they cut them, they're splitting. He's like, "Oh, this, this, this may not work. Oh, this may not work. How am I?" And, and of course, and of course, Clark is like, "You know, there's some cottonwoods like like three miles away. We could just go cut down some trees right now and make some cuttings." No, no, no. This is gonna work. This is gonna work. Right. <laughs> and so you this know, is after they'd hauled this iron frame. Exactly. And that's the incentive. from from Pennsylvania. Exactly. So this is. I think this was the thing where where Lewis was like, "No, no. We 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 has gotta work. We put so much effort. It's gotta work." Whereas Clark, the practical one's going, "You know, just, I'm just saying, winter's coming." Right. <laughs> He had read his Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, they do finally get the thing. They get it tarred reasonably well. They put it in the water. And, and ah, it works. It floats perfectly. They load the stuff and Yes, it's all great. And a storm blows through and soaks the boat, re-wets the leather. It starts splitting. And it's a disaster. And so right. then, you know, they've got to go cut down some cottonwood trees. And, 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 uh, and, and so... 
uh, Clark heads the guys to go get the tree, and they're gone for like two weeks. Right. And, right. and, and uh, people who have stated this theorized that that was kind of a cooling down period because evidently Clark was not happy they had wasted the time building the boat. But once they right. got back, everything seems to have gone smoothly. Right. But, that was, but that's also the only recorded instance where there was serious butting of heads between Lewis and Seriously. Clark. They're, they're, but that was one where it's like, you know, Lewis just was like, no, I, I, we're going to do this. And Clark, the practical, yeah. there's no need to. Well, you know, there, when you read the journals, there's also a couple. Now, there, now there's some other things where, yeah. They're gone for two and a half years <laughs> yes. with no other contact. You're gonna, <laughs> nerves are going to grate up against exactly. each other. There is also a theory that when they were you know, they've been, the goal is the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> oh, I know this. So they're yeah, getting yeah. to the Pacific Ocean. The... So they're like within a day's march. And Lewis is like, okay, Clark, why don't you head off in this direction? And I'll head off in this direction. And we'll look for fresh water and things. They're like, okay. <laughs> so as soon as Clark is basically, you know, through the tree line, Lewis is like, come on, we're going to get to the Pacific first. <laughs> and, it's a beeline. And they take off. And Lewis is like, ah, the Pacific. Well, let's go back and tell everyone. And, and, and I can imagine them saying, Oh, yeah, we saw something. And by the way, got to the Pacific Ocean. And Clark's like, what? what? No, we just go together. We're... Fine, we'll go tomorrow. And, you know, it's... And then, and then they got to go back. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, that, yeah, that's the other thing is now you've made it. You've got to get back. And, and you know... They do. I mean, that's, and, that, that's and, the thing. And the it's, trip it's back the, is a lot quicker because they had to come up the Missouri River. They literally had to pull and boats pull against the, the boats against so the So now current. they're traveling with currents. They're also, they've, they've left caches of food and equipment behind them as they've gone right. west. So they know where supplies are going back east. The, the, the tribes are now known. There's, it's, it's, yeah, it's much quicker coming back. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, and then when they get back, you know, what, what happens to the major players? What happens to Lewis? What happens to Clark? What happens to Sacagawea? What happens to York? Uh, we only know some of those things. Right. You know, for, for all the, 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 the fame that we rightly give Sacagawea today, we don't really know what happened to her. We don't really Not know what she looked like. We don't. You know, we don't know what she looked like or anything. Uh, she just recedes from history. But, you know, her legacy is without her, would they have been able to do it? My guess, Maybe. Is, my guess is no. Yeah, mine is too, because or, at some point there would have been a fatal misunderstanding between a war party, perceived war party, right. and overwhelming numbers of Native Americans. I mean, this is only 41 people. Right. And, and you know, they bring back a huge amount of, of uh, samples. They've got, they've, they have their drawings. Right. They have skins of different animals that they've never seen before and flora and fauna and, and probably the greatest loss... Uh, Lewis, the entire time, had been keeping vocabularies and syllabaries of yes, all the different native languages, languages he'd run across. Tons of them. And at some point, just outside St. Louis, they were they were moving, shifting things from one boat to the other, and the chest containing the vocabularies drops into the river and sinks. Oh, gone. Oh, it's gone. Yeah. And and you know we don't have those languages now, and that right. that's. That one, that one kills me. Yeah. Oh, that one kills yeah. me. But, but that also illustrates how easily that that thing was lost in relative safety. That illustrates how easy disaster could have happened absolutely. at any point. Yeah. But, then, but then York, uh, to, to continue our, our, our role of what happens to who, York, uh, it's also the, the record is ambiguous with him. Uh, 
in later years, George Clark says he freed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kind of disappears from the record. There, there, there's some records that he operated a freight business in 1811 after he'd been freed, but he kind of just disappears. And, you know, there's no particular reason to doubt George, but there's also no, there's not really that much evidence about York at all after right. around like, 1811. As is often the case with African Americans in this period. Exactly. And, and, and is often the case with a lot of people. Well, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily conspiracy. It's just, did this person maintain a written record for whatever reason? Yeah. A lot of people didn't. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, uh, George and Meriwether uh, both have very different ends. Oh, Meriwether, you know, he he continues to to uh, be a favorite of Jefferson. He's appointed governor of uh, Upper Louisiana of the Louisiana Purchase. He's now mm-hmm. governing some of the area that he's just explored. Uh, what is a charitable way to say it? Uh, he may or may not have been very good at keeping records uh, during his governorship. At any rate, there there starts to be quibbles with Congress about money and the budget that he's got to do things, and he's borrowing and, money against the government. And even some of his expenses funds, from the expedition. And some of his expenses from the expedition. It's and and there's there's questions about are these valid expenses? At the time, perhaps embezzlement is a word that's being thrown at him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of things. And it may not have been embezzlement. It may have just been sloppy record keeping. But either way, it taints things for him. And it taints his relationship with Jefferson, his patron. Well, that, you know, yes, Jefferson is is on his back all the time. Because yeah. in the Enlightenment, what you're supposed to do if you're an explorer is you go out, you explore, you keep records, you come back, and then you write and you, the book. And you publish the book. You publish the book, and, or, or series of books. Right. And Jefferson's like, you got to do that. Because everything from in Jefferson's mind, and, and to a lot, to a certain extent, most of the Enlightenment, none of it means anything until it's published. Right, because th- that was one of the goals That's of the you, Enlightenment. Right. To enlighten people, I've published what I've done. Now all may derive benefit. And so Jefferson's like, you got to do the book. you got to do the book. you got to do the book. I mean, and you know, here's one of the greatest... Minds in American in world history, right? Just pounding you, you all the time. Do this, do this. Do, why can't you be more like me? Yeah, Lewis, yeah. do this, and and that's that's a lot of pressure on top up, of all up, the financial up, all things. the financial stuff. So he hasn't he hasn't gotten the journals and the records published. He's theoretically working on it. He's got all these figures. So he uh, yeah, we probably need to cut this. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, we're just jabbering. Uh, but he, uh, he he he's going to Washington, and on the trip, uh, early in the trip, uh, he is he is suicidal. Is dissuaded from committing suicide, and then subsequently, some people say he is murdered. Others say that he finally carried out his. Suicidal intent, but he but he dies on route uh, of of what was thought at the time to be suicide. Both Clark and Jefferson accepted it as suicide. They knew him best, right? Uh, so you know, rather than go down the rabbit hole of all oh, the conspiracies and it was this and this, he probably committed suicide. Probably, and, and you know, the, the latter day people looking at the behavior that he exhibited after these you know this this tremendous adventure out west and this turbulent pressure as governor suggests. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and whatever the reason, he takes his life. 
and that's how he ends. And, that, you and know? that's sad. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was 1811, so that's, you know, five years after the expedition, he's right. dead. And, 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 Clark and Clark comes back, he finds love, which Lewis never did, finds mm -hmm. love, marries, has kids, becomes incredibly successful, gets government appointments, uh, he is is Secretary of, of Indian Affairs. Yes, during, during the, the Indian removal during period. Removal. Yeah, in the eighteen thirties. Yeah, uh, and you know lives to old age, uh, very well off, very well respected, and he 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 had a he had a great life. Yeah. He was very happy, and it's and not to get too spiritual and philosophical. But this may be a good point to close. But yeah. and this is something folks have talked about with explorers from all ages. How far out can, can you, go you go and still come, come back. back? Yeah. And that depends on the person. What do you leave of yourself out there? Well, yeah. you are on the adventure yeah. of a millennium. Yeah. And you experience that, and you're there, and you do it. And when you come back, you find yourself wearing regular clothes and sitting behind a desk pushing papers. Yeah. It's what you do every day. You're it's right. what I do every day. <laughs> you're out there doing the I thing. really do. But it's like, you know, how... Yeah. That, that that's a contrast, and some people like Clark could obviously could make the transition. It. Right. Some people like Lewis could. Exactly, and that is that's a, that's a, I think it's a great great place to end it. So, and, and, and metaphorically, how have we handled our expansion to the West? <laughs> metaphorically, we'll great talk, question. We <laughs> we've talked about the West. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about how we handle it someday. All right, folks. Thanks for. Tuning in? You don't tune in. Clicking on it. Clicking in. Linking in. Clicking, linking in. <laughs> All, right. All right. Bye. See you next time. <laughs> then Again with Ken and Glenn is produced by the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center.